creak of the coffin. <laughs> That's what I should call it from now on. Parts in general. <laughs> You're welcome. <laughs> oh, yeah, we'll have, no. call, we'll have to call farts a uh, man who creaked the coffin on that. Yeah. all right well welcome to under the pendulum i'm chris weber here as always is heather weber hello and joining us from los angeles is caitlin weber what's up what's up just creaking up just creaking coffins up in here yeah i just uh i just made a very funny joke everybody Heather cut a muffin, and I was like, it's the creak of a coffin as Dracula rises from the grave. I mean, it's really po- poetic, kind of like I the know, person we'll be talking today. Yeah, oh, yeah. yeah. Here we go. That's a nice segue. <laughs> Thank you. So we have a very special 10th episode for you all today. We will be talking about the life and death of sad boy and proto-goth, Mr. Edgar Allan Poe. I bet he had some serious whiskey farts, man. I'll tell you what. I'm oh, yeah. About it. I bet he had sure. some hobo fucking dumpster farts. Dude, yeah. It's probably like, it smelled like rusty iron and like. <laughs> yeah. Old wood. No. <laughs> poor, poor and Edgar. My, and my fart from out that shadow that lies floating on the floor. <laughs> Sorry, Edgar Allan Poe. <laughs> oh. It's been it's been fun kind of it's been fun revisiting his stuff though, you know, like I hadn't really yeah. read a lot of it. And I and I watched uh I don't remember anybody remembers the the early Tim Tim Burton um Vincent. Vincent? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, That's for sure. Shit. Yeah, yeah, that was a lot yeah. of fun. It's really on my great. Nightmare Before Christmas special edition DVD. Heck yeah. I, I remember that. I remember that. <laughs> Let me not stop motion. So, um, yeah, I guess we'll get into it. Um, So Edgar Allan Poe, as most people know, is a 19th century American author and poet who revived and reinvented the gothic tale genre. He is widely known for his tales of the macabre, madness, murder, mayhem, and melancholy. Yeah, there's a lot of uh, M's there. Ah, that's alliteration, baby. Oh, yeah, it is. (laughs) So, and we know him for all his horror stuff, but he was also an accomplished writer in many other forms. He did, like, comedies, you know, and he was often credited for inventing the modern detective story and influencing, uh, you know, figures like Sherlock Holmes. That's really oh, that's cool. super cool. He was a critic, wasn't he, as well, like a writing he critic? Was, mm-hmm. Yeah, he was also a literary critic, uh, which we'll, that's you know, it. as we talk about his life, um, you know, we'll, we'll get more into. But yeah, that was like a really huge part of his career was being a literary critic. He probably wrote his best criticisms when he was like pants crapping me drunk. And it was like the drunk dude at the end of the bar that calls everybody <laughs> out. And you're like making everybody really uncomfortable. But when you read it just, in a column, it's fine. It's just furiously writing. <laughs> <laughs> Edgar, this doesn't say anything. <laughs> this is just a grocery list. so you know one of his greatest claims to fame is you know his poem the raven which it's still taught to young readers in english classrooms to this day i you know i i of course remember going over that in like middle school i think oh yeah so good yeah Yeah. Mm -hmm. so i just definitely kind of that shows the longevity of his work you know it's just like that is still a standard in english classrooms to this day and, I mean, Dude. if it was in The Simpsons, you know it's good, you know? 
There are so many fucking t-shirts with his face on it. It's ridiculous. Like teenage girls all <laughs> over bi- the world. His big old, his big his old big forehead. Knock. Dude, yeah, he looks like he looks like head. a dude you're talking to in college at a party who had like snake bite, you know, piercings, and you're just kind of like waiting to get away from him because it's like really pretentious. <laughs> I feel like we're bashing him so bad. I know. I'm sorry. Yeah. He really is. No, wonderful. no, it's all right. Yeah. But it's funny because you're not actually like inaccurate in saying that because he's definitely <laughs> like yeah, that's kind of like the image that he made for himself you know he's yeah, like that's true what we would consider sort of like the emo goth you know exactly mm-hmm. brooding yeah. in the corner every yes. corner and like sweating way too much for no reason and then you find out later it's because he's an alcoholic <laughs> <laughs> his cryptic coffin farts <laughs> cryptic coffin farts <laughs> So we know Poe is this, you know, a great American, you know, author and poet. But, you know, we don't really know who he was, though. You know, like, who is this 19th century mixture of Stephen King and Robert Smith? Oh, I think that's a pretty good. I'll take that smoothie. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I'll take that dip. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, well, it's funny. I was at a I was at a party yesterday um, and. I was kind of talking about Poe because anytime we research something, it's all I can talk about for a couple of weeks. I know. Yeah. And, um, <laughs> you know, I was talking with this guy and he was also uh, kind of like a, a big history buff as well. And um, yeah. we were talking about Poe and he he compared Poe to Michael Bay. And I said, I would consider mm. if we're talking about films, I consider Poe more like um, Peter Jackson. Yeah. Michael Bay. What? Who's Michael Bay? Yeah, I know that name. I, I mean, I I mean, there's it's like something I'm missing. Oh, yeah. Uh, I I don't. Well, because I I you know it was like because Poe did like pulp you know stories for a little bit. You know, it was just kind of like just entertaining stories. Um, right. And I think that's okay. how we, that's the way he was looking at it. But I I was thinking it was more like Peter Jackson because you know it was like kind of like the early pulpy horror films, and then he like you know gets Lord of the Rings. And, um, yes. you know, kind of like the, the the Raven is sort of, you know, and like in his subsequent work after that was sort of like his, you know, launching into being considered like a serious writer. Yeah. And it's it's so crazy because he wrote The Raven only a few years before he died. It's just it's a shame once he really started picking up steam. Boom. Yeah. Yeah. And we'll, and we'll, we'll find how he also kind of shoots himself in the foot, you know, constantly. Yeah. Yep. Absolutely. That's. I always. Oh, go ahead. I'm sorry. <sighs> oh no, it's okay. I, I I was amazed at how, how often he would, just fuck himself over and yeah. over. It's like, what are you doing, buddy? <laughs> so things are going good, <laughs> man. What are you doing? I know. I know, man. Yeah. That's nuts. I guess before we get into it, it's good to it's good to kind of clarify that accounts widely vary by both historians and post scholars about his life. You know, we do have yes. letters, we have notes, we have other accounts to draw from, but none of them really illustrate who he really was. And, you know, the accounts of his life can uh, oftentimes diverge at certain points, you know, and depending on who you talk to, too. Yeah. Um you know, not only did Poe carefully craft his own image, but others, like his rival and enemy, Reverend Rufus Griswold, which we'll Griswold! Get into him. Griswold! <laughs> um, I but, you know, hate Gri- that guy. Yeah, he's a fucking prick. But, you know, yeah. Griswold painted, painted him as a depraved drunk whose untimely end was not only inevitable, but inconsequential. Oh, that's rough. But one thing that is... Yeah, yeah, well, I'll, I'll read... Uh, 
he wrote an obituary for Poe, and I'll I'll read that at the end, and it's um it's interesting. What? Oh no. Yeah. 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 But uh, you know, one thing that's not debated is Poe's legacy as an American master of darkness. So that's on right. this episode, we'll be giving a broad account of his life, his work, what we know of him, and his mysterious death, uh, to the best of our abilities. And we have quite a few sources. Um, I guess maybe we'll just post those instead of reading it. Because <laughs> there's quite yeah, a few. there's a Was, lot. Do, do you, did you have any honorable mentions, Heather? Not really. I mean, the the, the one thing I did like a lot was the poemuseum.org. It was really good to cross-reference um, the sources with that. And there's just so much on that website. They're really... Yeah. Yeah, I use, I use that one a lot, too. Yeah. Um, one that was pretty good for me was um, a PBS documentary called Buried Alive. Um, it was it was pretty good. I, I definitely recommend. I, I want to see that. PBS, that so. sounds rad. Yeah, it was good. Yeah, it was good. They they had some guy play Poe. Um, it was kind of like a you know um, like a docudrama in a way. Um, but they had a bunch of scholars and like historians and then other authors. It was it was cool. It was just they had a lot of people kind of um, uh, contributing to the documentary. So that's that's, awesome. one, that's an honorable mention for me. Yeah. So, Heather, why don't you take us to the beginning? All right. Let's do this. Edgar Allan <laughs> Poe, born January 19th, 1809 in Boston, Massachusetts. Oh, shit. He's a Capricorn. Where my cap is at? Oh, yeah, baby. <laughs> where right my on the cusp. <laughs> my cap is <laughs> But before we get into his childhood, I'd like to talk a little bit about his parents. I think it's important to know about their background as they would unwittingly influence his work and life choices, although they were only there for a very brief period of his life. I'm going to say, okay, I just want to interject because I am coming in very yeah. cold on the biography of Edgar Allan Poe. I'm going to guess that he, his parents were totally fucked up and he had a fucked up childhood. Am I, am I right in guessing that? Not, not uh, as much as you'd think. Ooh, okay. I think. You know, okay. I think, I, Partially. I mean, it wasn't good yeah. circumstances. Yeah, it wasn't, but it wasn't like horrible. And but I think you know that that view that you had, Katie, or that kind of assumption. I think that ties into the the persona that he made for himself. Okay, okay. You know, yeah. and it's so he he was successful in in putting that across. So okay, cool. Yes. Okay, sorry. Continue. <laughs> no, it's okay. No, I, I no, totally not agree. at all. So Poe's mother was London-born theater performer Elizabeth Arnold, and she started performing at the very young age of three. So when she was nine, she and her mother moved to Boston in 1796, and Eliza was incredibly talented. And you can actually read about reviews f- about her in East Coast state newspapers from this time period. Wow. Mm-hmm. It should also be noted that theater work was widely considered an unsavory and immoral profession, uh, especially in the New England region during this time. And especially for women, like, holy shit. Yeah, yeah. well, um, yeah, there was like kind of this... Um kind of like this purist movement. And so like they were shutting down theaters um, kind of around the East Coast. You know, it was just, it was always this idea that like they are immoral and they are going to, you know, like they're going, they're going to defile the population. And, you know, and you had like big, yeah, and you had big politicians, um, like some of like the founding, like I think it was like a founding father or two or something that like were on that bandwagon of theaters immoral. Not surprising. Well, for hundreds of years, I mean, like, the the actresses actually were prostitutes a lot of the time. Oh. And a- actresses and ballet, like, ballet dancers. Like, you know how ballet dancers usually have a ribbon around their mm-hmm. neck? Yeah. 
like the old paintings, that usually meant what kind of services or if you were available oh, to that kind of thing. That's cool. That's interesting. From my recollection. Yeah, I didn't know so, that. So, yeah. There's a really interesting movie, too, like called The Libertine with Johnny Depp, and it's set in the 17th century, and it talks about oh, that man. kind of thing. Yowza. That's really interesting. <laughs> so, yeah, that's why everybody carried on that belief that it was so unsavory because there was a lot of prostitution right, that's, going that's on. cool. Thank you for clarifying that because I, I oh, was yeah. just like, I don't understand this bullshit, but... Yeah, I had a I had a dick hole art teacher because I wore a ribbon around my <laughs> neck once, and he said that, and I was like, first off, oh, gross, but gross. thanks for telling me. <laughs> yeah, gross, but interesting. Yeah, but interesting. I don't know, but I, but I think he also had like the Puritan, you know, movement mm-hmm. and sex. So mm-hmm. I think you know that was like yeah. a huge part of that, you know, early American oh, yeah. um, way of life. Yeah. All right. So in 1802, at the age of 15. Eliza married thespian Charles Hopkins, and they both joined a theater company in Richmond. In 1804, Baltimore actor David Poe Jr. joined their company. So in 1805, Charles died and widowed Eliza at the age of 18. So she ended up marrying Poe Jr. the following summer, and they had three children together, Henry, Edgar, and Rosalie. Dude, people moved quick at this time, man. (laughs) Yeah, man, you can't be a spinster at 18, you know? Fuck that's no, true. yeah. You late, like, honestly, there's another, okay, sorry, one last book mention that's no, a little off subject, but it's um, Clever Maids. It's a book about um, the Grimm, Grimm brothers, Yeah. how their, their father died and their mother, because of the time period, like I think it was the 1700s, you weren't as a woman allowed to take care of your children by yourself and you had to have a husband. So that was another thing, too, that could have been carried on to that time period. Oh, yeah, interesting. Yeah, I, I would imagine so, yeah. So that's probably why they're like, oh, shit, I got to get married, like, right now. You know? <laughs> Put a ring on it now! <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I know, so, the bed still, <laughs> I know the bed still smells like my dead husband, but, you know, it's fine. <laughs> I, like, love these kids, so please. <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> So uh, Eliza and Poe Jr. continued their work as a theater troupe, but most, but because of the negative views on the theater profession, they weren't able to make a livable wage, and they relied on benefits held for them by generous patrons, which is really nice of them. Yeah, um, I mean, well, Eli- yeah, Eliza was a was a pretty big star. I mean, you know, she was especially for There's her singing, tons of yeah, for her of singing her. voice. Really? Mm-hmm. Ooh. Yeah. 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 yeah she- what would her name be, Eliza yeah, Poe, she was if a... you look it up? Yeah, I think because it would have been either Eliza Arnold, Eliza Hopkins, or Eliza Poe. Right. Um, okay, you know, yeah. She went by many names. Yeah. Oh. So although the troupe continued to enjoy moderate success, uh, David's reviews, David Poe, uh, they were mixed, and Eliza was praised. And it's believed that David was jealous of this fact, and then he turned to alcohol. Bummer. Yeah, and fun side note, while <laughs> bummer, <laughs> gotta lay up that sauce. While Eliza was pregnant with Edgar, she would perform on stage. So it's kind of cool, like that he had such early beginnings mm-hmm. on the stage. Mm-hmm. So David Poe left the company soon after Edgar was born to seek out more financial opportunities. David's alcoholism continued to persist to the point that he was unable to perform and he was ultimately fired in 1809, and he never that's performed a, after that. That's another interesting um, connection that we'll see with Poe. 
quite often is like him being fired or or him leaving a job um and a lot of times alcoholism cited david poe would then come in and out of the family's lives and he would ultimately disappear altogether so in 1810 eliza moved her and the children from new york to richmond eliza continued to perform and struggled to keep the family afloat by herself and then she contracted tuberculosis a short short time later God damn. Yeah, it's rough, mm-hmm. man. In 1811, she died at the age of 24, surrounded by her children. Edgar was only three. He was said to have wept for two days straight upon her death, and some sources say that he claimed that he saw her standing at the foot of his bed every night. Spookiness Did aside, you wash though, yourself, would... Edgar? <laughs> Did you change your underwear, Edgar? Did you change your underwear? He's such a dirty boy. Doesn't it make you feel feel good when your room's clean? She's like poking him, poking him, poking him. Oh no! <laughs> uh, spookiness of of that aside, though, uh, she would be the first of the women in his life who would tragically die young of illness. This is another reoccurring theme for him. So another interesting side note: um, David Poe died within weeks of Eliza although some biographers believe it was only a matter of days, which is pretty nuts. Yeah, that is nuts. Because he yeah, was not even really... in their lives. Well, that would leave Poe and, and his brother and sister with no living parent. Mm-mm. Just like, just gone, both of them. Yeah. I wonder if this was yep. like w- one of the height of, of when tuberculosis was really starting to grip Europe and America. Judging from this story, I would say it was right I was going to say, because I'm like, it's like... Because statistically with disease, you should only have like one to three people in your life touched by it. But this is like a shit, shit ton of people. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, and, and throughout Poe's life, he would constantly be in contact with, um, you know, all kinds of illnesses. And there would always be there would be breakouts, you know, like kind of what we would kind of consider like a pandemic. You know, it was like cholera. Um, yeah. I mean, tuberculosis. You know, it was yeah. it was like he was all constantly around just a lot of people dying from disease. I mean, it was just sort of like a fact of life. I'm sure that that also had a great deal to do. Sorry. One last thing, but with irrigation and public, you know, works and stuff like that, were still being established in America and stuff. Oh yeah. And the, and these cities are constantly getting bigger, you know? And yeah, Yeah, the early to mid 1800s was a super dangerous time Mm -hmm. for everyone. Yep. So after Eliza's death, the theater patrons arranged for her children to be adopted, and they each landed in different homes, although they did maintain contact throughout their lives. Henry went to live with his grandparents in Baltimore, and his sister went to another family in Richmond. Edgar was fostered by a wealthy couple who had no children, Scottish-born John Allen, a tobacco merchant, and his wife, Frances Allen. In 1815, the Allens' business dealings moved the family to England, where they stayed for five years. During this time, Edgar attended two different schools, and he studied history, literature, French, and Latin. The Allens had to return to Baltimore in 1820 due to a change in the family's financial situation, so it was not going so well for them, so they had to come back to Baltimore. However, despite this, they continued to send Edgar to school to further his education. Uh, He excelled in school and was quite the athlete as a young man, surprisingly. Uh, He won regional fame through his swimming skills, 
He said he swam, swam like six miles against current. Um, one yeah, day it was like on a it was like on like, a bet. Like it was some other. Kids. Oh, was it? Wow, <laughs> that's awesome. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, that's what I that's what I had read. It was like some kid, some group of kids like bet him, you know, like he couldn't do it. Um, but and, but that's the interesting thing about him being like very athletic is because you know we have this, you know, we have this image of him being like very frail, you know, like I know. I just see like the kids that sat by the bleachers in high school with like their fucking hair over their eye and just kind of like. <laughs> yeah. But now he's a swimmer. That's great. <laughs> Yeah, I was surprised. I was like, no shit. Smell like cigarettes, like whatever. I don't know, I'm an artist. Yes. <laughs> so Edgar was fascinated by poetry even as a child, and he had written a great many of them by the time he was 13. And he would actually perform them in front of his class, too. So he was somewhat of an actor himself. Oh, even those early poems, though, like you can you start to really see like his genius, you know, like at a very early age, you know, his 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 grasp of yeah. the language and his like ability to mm-hmm. like, you know, use symbolism and imagery. Um, yeah, it's it's really impressive for such a young age. Yeah. And he I, it, it shows how engaged he was in his education. I mean, he really he loved it. I mean, it seemed mm-hmm. that he liked to learn. So as we mentioned before, contrary to popular belief that he was a pure loner as a schoolboy, because that's like that's what I've always heard over the years is that he was just alone in a corner again. Uh, this is not the case. He did catch criticism due to his parents having been actors. You know, the kids would make fun of him because of that. But he generally got along well in class and certainly was yeah, not how lame. Friends. Yeah. Fucking assholes. So lame. Your parents are actors. Psh. I mean, I I think that that's part of the reason why in the twenties to even the fifties, that's why the playing field for acting was so big, and there was so much chance to to get into that the higher echelons of it because it still wasn't taken seriously for a really really long time, and. People yeah. probably didn't think to mm-hmm. do that as a profession seriously, so I don't know. Oh, sure, yeah. So as a young man, Poe became attached to one of his friend's mothers, Jane Stannard, and he fell into a kind of love with her. She was beautiful, and she was kind to him, and since his foster mother was often ill, they grew attached to one another. But, again... Tragically, Jane died at the age of 31 after a period of accelerating mental illness. We don't know if it was brain cancer. We don't. It, it's hard to say because we mm-hmm. don't have the medical, you know, technology of the at that time. But this deeply affected him, mm-hmm. and he would visit her grave at night with her son for a long time after that. And actually, his poem to Helen was about her. Oh, that's mm-hmm. so good to know. Yeah, it's really sad. But the Allen home was a contentious place for both Edgar and his foster parents, and conditions continued to build tension as Poe grew into adolescence. Although Edgar and Francis were very close, John and Edgar's relationship was very troubled, um, especially after Edgar learned of John's repeated affairs. So when Edgar was 17, he got engaged to a young neighbor girl, Sarah Elmira Royster, in 1826, 
However, Almira's father disapproved because the two were young and he was unsure how Edgar is going to provide for his daughter. So according to the dad, when Poe would send her letters, the dad would intercept them and destroy them before they could make it to Almira. There were a lot of slamming doors at this point for both of them. <laughs> yes. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's fucking tunes! <laughs> <laughs> So yes, and a lot of a lot of stop trying to read my diary (laughs) or the the 19th century equivalent to stained. (laughs) Uh, I know I'm trying to think lyrically of like like. what would be "It's Been a While" or something. (laughs) Oh, that would be a fun thing to to rewrite. That would take some thought. (laughs) Yep. So that same year, Edgar went off to the University of Virginia. John Allen only gave Edgar about a third of the funds he needed for basic expenses. So desperate for money, Edgar turned to gambling, and he ended up racking up a massive debt of about $2,000. And I did the conversion. That's like that's like $57,000 oh, in today's he, what, money. He lost it? Which is... Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, he lo- he he lost. Oh my gosh! I bet his dad gambler. just sent him like crates of tobacco, <laughs> and he's like, "I bet you can eat this shit." Like, here you go, <laughs> you little turd. <laughs> um, and you know, obviously, John Allen was not thrilled about that, so he refused to help <laughs> him with his debt. He was like, "I'm not paying for that shit." So. At one of the lowest points, Poe even had to burn his furniture to keep warm. And it was during this time that Edgar began his affair with alcohol. You know, and the fucked up thing with the John, you know, the John Allen, like, you know, not being like, well, I'm not going to pay your debts, which is, I mean, like, fair enough. But it's like, yeah, you know, Edgar, Edgar had to gamble because, like, he didn't give him enough fucking money, you know? So yeah, it's just kind of like, it's just kind of like, oh, you know. Make this work. Man, and you didn't have you didn't have Vienna sausage. You didn't have ramen noodles back then. No. You had to you know, you had to burn that furniture and maybe kill a rat or two. Mm -hmm. A little skewer. Yeah. (laughs) You got your poker, don't you? okay. Go body snatching, you know? Go body snatching, need some baby fingers. (laughs) (laughs) So because of all this fuckery that was going on, after a year Poe was forced to drop out. So he returned to Richmond. And this is where the disagreements between John Allen and Edgar were really starting to, to kick into gear. Um, mm-hmm. And this was believed to be caused due to, you know, a, a mixture of Edgar fucking up um, and then also uh, Edgar's disapproval of Allen's affairs. And also John Allen would make a lot of negative comments regarding his family, you know, Poe's biological family of actors. Mm-hmm. So by then, Elmira, the girl he was engaged to, she had gotten married to another man because she thought that Edgar had forgotten about her because the dad was taking the notes and destroying them. Yep. So this then prompted Edgar to move to Boston. He was inspired to go to Boston because of the one thing his mother had left to him after her death. It was a watercolor painting of Boston that she had painted in 1808. She had written an inscription on the back. For my little son Edgar, who should ever love Boston, the place of his birth, and where his mother found her best and most sympathetic friends. Oh my goodness. Like kind of telling him that if shit ever goes tits up, you should go there. Yeah. 
I mean, I think that's how we took it. So Poe was... Maybe she was hammered when she wrote that on the back. I hope not. What was that? I said maybe she was hammered when she wrote that on the back, like breathing heavy and like... (laughs) I think she was actually dying when she wrote that. Oh, that's Uh. even worse. (laughs) Yeah, I I read that (laughs) she was like on her deathbed when she she wrote that and gave it to him. (laughs) And then it's like... Oh, I'm sorry, Eliza. Poor <laughs> lady. Poor lady, poor lady. Cough, cough. Uh. So, uh, obviously, Poe cherished this painting his whole life, and he carried it around with him until he died. Is it, does it, is it still in so, existence? So Do people know about it? Probably not, because they probably, no. yeah, the way he, Mm-mm. yeah, yeah. Okay, got it. Yeah. But that's very, very poetic, you know? Yeah, it sure is. Just, like, constantly carrying this, like, painting, you know, around with him. That's exactly. exactly what a goth kid would do. Like... <laughs> I know I do. <laughs> hey, I me too. This paint. I still have this painting that I got like at a thrift store. The fucking vagina vortex thing. The red yeah. vagina vortex. Yes. Oh, the yeah, weird yeah, eyeball the, thing. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I still. It's it's hanging up in the living room right now. That I thing's s- fucking kick ass, dude. I still have that Urte one from. What my first thing, first purchase at a flea market at ten years old. I still have that. Yeah, I still lug around all my fucking band posters. Really? I still have yeah. All of them. Me too, dude. Yeah. Frame some of those. Yeah. I know. I I want to like have a room that's sometime where I could put them all up and just like a, you know, a tribute. Yeah. Whatever. Like a gaming Absolutely. room. Absolutely. I I had a friend um whose dad was in the radio business in the eighties and nineties. And was in a couple crazy bands oh, cool. and stuff. And they had, like, some shirts framed up that were, like, fucking beer stains all over it. Like, ripped up. But they had it <laughs> framed in int- a really interesting way. And they were, like, early Sonic Youth shirts and That's stuff cool. like that. It was really cool. That's a cool I like idea. That. That's cool. Yeah, 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 I like that. Anyway. <laughs> so, in March 1827, he took odd jobs to support himself, such as a warehouse clerk and a newspaper reporter. Despite working these multiple jobs, he was unable to support himself. So, in desperation, he enlisted in the army in May of 1827. That was surprising for me, too, but I guess, like, everybody was in the fucking army back then. Yeah, I mean, sort and of it's like... military career. Yeah, and, and you know, even, even in modern, you know, modern times, a lot of people join the army to further their education, you know? Like, yeah. Like, that still, still happens. I, I had... Like, very briefly thought about it, but, you know, I was yeah, just like, nah, too. it's not me for me. Too. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, for sure. Uh, and, you know, he was definitely, he had nowhere else to turn, so, I mean, it makes perfect sense. He just doesn't yeah. strike me as a as a brave soldier. But Well, and I think I think as we'll learn, um, yeah. he was not a particularly <laughs> no, he great, uh, he d- didn't fall in line, let's just put it that no. way. No, I don't think he was capable of falling in line. So he enlisted under a false name. Edgar A. Perry, and he also enlisted under a fake age, saying that he was 22 rather than actually being 18. And he was assigned to the 1st Regiment of Artillery and stationed at Fort Independent in Boston Harbor. Meanwhile, using the small amount of money he earned, he self-published his first collections of poems, Tamerlane and other poems. Now, like with the Tamerlane thing, this timeline moves all over the place where when exactly he published Tamerlane. So um, I'm just putting it here because it seems 
I don't know, the most consistent. But yeah, well, I think that's where we get the first mention. But he, you know, he republished. Um, you yeah, know, uh, T- Tamerlane like lame uh, a couple. I think like a couple times. Yeah, it was either two or three times. Yeah. Yeah. But uh, Tamerlane was a forty-page collection of ten poems, and it received really no attention at all. In fact, in the preface, he actually apologized for the quality of the poems. I I wish I had that quote. I I forgot to get it, but it's I am funny. sorry. These suck. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but. Another fun side note, interestingly, in 2009, a surviving first edition copy of this book sold at Christie's for $662,500. Damn. Yeah, dude. Yeah. That's that's amazing that one of those survived because it was like... I know. It was so shittily made. I think he only published like 50 of them or something. Like, like he didn't publish a lot of them. And And this thing was beat the fuck up. It was like stained and frayed, but... Yeah. I'm sure Edgar yeah. held it in his hands, so that's pretty cool. Yeah, that's, a, that's man, what an amazing find. That's, right? That's right? <laughs> so uh, Edgar rose in ranks all the way to Sergeant Major and was stationed in South Carolina in October 1827. However, by December of that year, Poe started to write apologies to John Allen to help him leave his service. These letters go unanswered for a long time, and Poe appeals to his commanding officer to end his service ahead of the five-year enlistment by telling him his true name and circumstances. The officer agreed, but only if Poe reconciled with Alan. Yeah, sure. (laughs) Yeah, that's going to (laughs) happen. In the meantime, Francis Allen had been ill for some time during these two years that that had gone by, and on February 28th, 1829, she died. And Edgar was notified too late to attend her funeral. She was already in the ground by the time he got there. And he arrived back in Richmond the day after her burial. Yeah, just like I said. (laughs) Um, (laughs) Edgar was again hit with the loss of a woman that he loved. And what's even worse is that some historians believe that John Allen waited to tell him on purpose to spite him. Sounds right. Dude, yeah, John Allen is just such a fucking such an asshole, man. Yeah, really is. They they are assholes to each other, though. I mean, yeah, but you know, but I think like you know, it just seemed like Allen never considered him, you know, like a son, even just a foster son. So I think yeah. it was just always him trying to like distance Poe, you know, like in, like in yeah. any way he possibly could. That's true. Yeah, it's always it's just it was always like you aren't part of this family and you never will be. Yeah, that's and it very just, true. It was like, really just always hurt Poe. Yeah, and Poe was just a kid, you know, for a yeah. lot of that. So, yep. Upon the death of Francis Allen, and likely mostly due to Francis's dying wishes, Allen finally agreed to help Edgar leave the army, and he was poised to be transferred to West Point as a cadet. John Allen resumed sending him money, and it is thought that he wanted to keep Edgar away from Richmond to stay out of his affairs, as he remarried just over a year later and wished for Edgar not to get entangled into his new lifestyle. And Alan's new wife didn't care for Poe at all. What a mm-hmm. surprise. Yep. Yeah, man, he just, uh, dude, yeah, it's just, just super sad, man. You know, because, like, he really loved Francis, you know. Like, they, they had a pretty good relationship. It was just, you know. Yeah. Just always, always, John Allen just always, 
never it was never probably her in, idea you know? to adopt anyway so yeah you're yeah, probably it, right about yeah. that mm-hmm. yeah yep I don't want this little fart boo, like, right? <laughs> Edgar then went to Baltimore to stay with family for a short time between his formal discharge from the army in April of 1829 and his attendance to West Point in July of 1830. The home housed his brother Henry, grandmother Elizabeth Poe, his aunt Maria Clem, and her seven-year-old daughter Virginia. Henry was falling into alcoholism as he was failing to be a writer himself, Henry, his older brother. Mm -hmm. It was then, again, timelines are weird about when he published these early books, but it was around this time, as best as I can guess, that he published his second book during this time, El Araf, Tamerlane. Tamerlane, I can't say that word for some reason. (laughs) Tamerlane and minor poems. (laughs) Well, you know, and it's funny, somebody, uh, somebody reviewed um, Alaraf and, um, you know, it was like, it was pretty, you know, like not, not a great work, but um, like a couple of reviewers, like definitely noticed the potential, like yeah. noticed like what, you know, these, these ideas that weren't quite crafted, just, you know like maturely crafted but like you know they saw the potential in what Poe might become yeah so as Poe grew weary of West Point and because John Allen refused to give consent for Poe's dismissal from the academy he purposely got himself kicked out only seven months later in February of 1831 ooh who'd he pee on (laughs) Well, he did it by skipping classes, he skipped drills, and other mandatory functions, which led to him being court-martialed. And he pled not guilty, knowing full well that his blatant actions would certainly result in dismissal. Upon this desired outcome, he promptly left for New York. This also resulted in John Allen cutting him off entirely. Of course, it was inevitable, huh? (laughs) Yeah, definitely. yeah, it was it was gonna come. Although it's weird because Poe always kind of like held out hope, you know, yes, like he for did. a long time. Yeah, yep. You know, it, it's which is I just kind of I don't know. I guess you know he never really had a you know a good family structure, so I think he just always constantly really just held on to that hope that like you know maybe we'll reconcile someday. Who knows? Yeah, Ugh. and maybe I'll get some inheritance too. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. <laughs> I'm sure there's a little bit of that, a little bit of column yeah. A, a little bit of column B. Yep. Um, so once in New York, he published his third book titled Poems. This was Very financed. That's a great title. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> this was financed in part by cadet friends at West Point, which is Aww, pretty cool. Yeah. Um, and there's... yeah, because he used to write like funny stuff about the, uh, yeah. the drill sergeants and stuff, you know. So it was like he was kind of. You know, he was kind of popular around with the other cadets because it was just like, you know, he just kind of poked fun at the at the authority figures. And, you know. Yeah. We just scraped a little bit together. It's, it's not much, but Merry Christmas. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah it was, was kind of like that, really though. It was sweet. really sweet. Yeah. You know? was, yeah. So there's a dedication page in the book, and it reads, To the U.S. Corps of Cadets, this volume is respectfully dedicated. And this book contained poems such as, again, Tamerlane, again, Alaroff, to Helen, Israel, Israfel, 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 yeah, yeah. 
Israfel and the city in the sea. Uh-huh. Oh, oh. And now it's yours. Yep. So I'll, I'll take over the rest of uh, Poe's life, and it's going to get more. Oh boy, my favorite. Sorry, that was a really weird segue. No, it's okay. Segways are, yep. <laughs> Segways are not fun. No. <laughs> Sorry for so. yelling at you, everyone. This <laughs> is. Uh, take over. <laughs> so, uh, Poe moved back to Boston in 1831, and he moved in with his estranged family, Maria Clem and her daughter Virginia. Um, you know, as we kind of already said, they were blood relatives of Poe, and this kind of helps him connect more with his real family as opposed to shitty John Allen, who, you know, never cared about Poe and never really wanted him oh, to be a part nice. of the family. So yeah. it gave, you know, it gave Poe a family tie that he never really that's had. gotta be great yeah, too, to, nice. to look in the face of people that may look even a little bit similar to you for once that must be really nice yeah mm-hmm. yeah and, and and like and knew the you know the parents and like you know just yeah it's like actually blood relatives that he can connect himself to so for most of the 19th century this is just kind of a side note magazines and journals began kind of cropping up everywhere and it really kind of oversaturates the the market, but yeah. and many did not last that long. But this really worked to pose advantage as he could, you know, submit his work to to many different papers and journals. Yeah, you know, which gives which started giving him a little bit of exposure. Probably because of the movable press and all kinds of different uh, techniques in printmaking and stuff like that. That's pretty cool. Oh yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. yeah, and just and just uh, it, it trying to meet the needs oh, of a yeah, growing population too. that is. It's like things, you know, it's like, again, we said like all the sicknesses that were going around, you know, people dying, like, you know, it was just people wanted entertainment. Yeah, that's so funny because that's also a concurrent with like pulp magazines when the big, like the end of World War One and like the beginning of World War Two, where people are just like, oh, my God, this shit's horrible. Like anything to distract right now. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Post-war. Sorry. No, 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 go ahead. Oh, I was just saying, like, in post-war horror as well, like, in the 50s and 60s, there's, you know, the golden and silver age of horror comics, which is something I love. Yeah, well, it will, <laughs> and yeah, and like, you know, we said previously, like, we'll kind of see Poe, you know, it kind of almost like a 19th century equivalent to a pulp Yeah, that's interesting. Yeah. yeah, I recommend to any listeners who's, who's interested yeah. in this, there's a lot on the history of communication design and communication that talks about this kind of stuff is fascinating. So get out there and learn something. I'll tell you. (laughs) So in a last effort to get back on the side of John Allen's good graces, Poe pens a letter to him in April of 1833, pleading for help. Um, You know, and this would always be Poe would always kind of write to friends because he would find himself in not a debt, um, you know, financially destitute, things like that. Uh, So this is that letter. Without friends... Without any means, consequently, of obtaining employment, I am perishing, absolutely perishing for want of aid. And yet I am not idle, nor addicted to any vice, nor have I committed any offense against society which would render me deserving of so hard a fate. For God's sake, pity me and save me from destruction. This appeal went unanswered, because John's a dick, and uh, John Allen died on March 27th of 1834. And one thing that was very devastating to Poe was he was not included in his will. Even Ill- even illegitimate children that John Allen had with other women uh, were <gasps> included in the inheritance, but Poe was completely left out. What a shitball shithead. 
Didn't he also give money to like acquaintances and shit too? Just yeah. like yeah. It was it was just a it was just a final like I never loved or cared about you. The wrong you kid know, dad. Kind of <laughs> the wrong kid dad. The parakeet in your hall amused me once. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, so, I mean, that's sad, and, you know, but it kind of, you know, it finally severs that, you know, that tie, and, and, it, and it severs, you know, Poe's holding out for some sort of reconciliation. Reminds me of yeah. uh, the Mommy Dear stuff that's like, Merry Christmas, everybody, except Christina. Yeah. Oh, my God, yeah. Yeah. God, that movie's so good. I know. In 1833, Poe entered a short story contest uh, held by the weekly Baltimore Saturday Visitor. They, man, they always had such fucking long names. I know. <laughs> so he he entered his story, Message Found in a Bottle, um, and it unanimously won, and he received a $50 prize, which is a little less than $1,500 in today's money. That's good. Yeah. You know, it's, it's like big help. And, mm-hmm. you know, and he also got his story published in their October 18th issue. And this would really help launch his career in writing for various magazines and journals. And the story itself got, you know, pretty good reviews and Poe received several job offers. That's probably the best day in his entire life, man. Yeah, you know, and sometimes he, he you know, and that's kind of like his life was always like these intermittent, you know, periods of like of success. You yeah. Know? Poe left Boston and he went back to Richmond to take a job offer working for the Southern Literary Messenger as a writer and contributor. Um, And this was in late 1835. Uh, There he published critical reviews of other writers' work and he kind of began cutting his teeth as a literary critic and an editor. And, you know, of course, he published his own stories and poems. So one thing to note is that during this time, um, America was trying to elevate American writers because they wanted to... They wanted to compete with British authors who had really been dominating Western literature. Um, so as a result, many critics and reviewers would uh, puff uh, any and all American writers, um, no matter how bad they really were. <laughs> there, once, there once was a man from Nantucket. Brilliant! <laughs> <laughs> oh, gee, genius! <laughs> so, but, but Poe went against this... Um, and he became known for his scathing reviews. Um, and, you know, they were often the subjects of, like, really juicy gossip. So kind of get, get garnered him some some fame that way because it was, like, it wasn't just the, like, oh, it's so amazing. It was, like, you know, all oh, juicy. Like, he's just digging in. Yeah. Yeah. Like, yeah, he's brutal. Bitch, some hot goss. Dude, he, he, <laughs> he was, like, he could be really brutal and just, like, tear you up. But And he would go, like, line by line. Like, he would, you know, he would really oh, dissect. Geez the piece He's all yeah like, why don't you take he, it home michelle yeah he was th- he was thorough you know what i mean and he and he knew what he was talking about which is like another yeah. thing that um you know he was kind of respected for that um but you know poe wasn't just a literary snob he understood that people wanted entertainment and he kind of wanted to paint himself as sort of a tastemaker so he began writing dark and ghoulish ghost stories in the tradition of the gothic tale which was a form that had kind of declined in that last 70 years before. Yeah, it um, had. And he, he, yeah, and he kind of revitalizes the genre. And, yeah. you know, they often captured the bleak and dark aspects of humanity and life in the mid-19th century. And these stories were popular, but also considered sensationalistic and in poor taste to many. This is kind of where he gets to be, like, kind of pulpy. Um, yeah. And his boss is, off, you know, his boss often got super pissed at him. 
Yeah, I mean, I'm sure it was super scandalous, you know, like just oh yeah, some of the content For of the stories. Real. It's like fuck. It's yeah, he's you know now. he's he, he's writing about a guy pulling out his dead wife's teeth. You I know, know things like that. It's just like pretty pretty crazy shit for the time yeah the first time i heard telltale heart i was like even this is kind of just psychotic and brutal yeah amazing (laughs) yeah and he really you know and that was like a big theme in his in his um you know many he had many recurring themes but insanity you know and and just like the not the not recognizing that you are insane yeah um and that the world around you isn't partly insane too yeah so you know the thing about poe is you know he wanted to be taken seriously like uh, be a serious writer but you know he also knew what would sell so when he was approached by his bosses about his stories uh, he never compromised and he often would um, sometimes write you know a bad review about his boss <laughs> <laughs> well just something to something defending his work you know what I mean yeah yeah for sure yeah That'd so be funny. while working at yeah right <laughs> start reviewing people <laughs> She's got a fat ass. <laughs> he smacks when he chews. <laughs> yeah, right. So uh, while working at SLM, he hears that a family member wants to send Virginia off to school, uh, to a nice school far away. And this really depresses Poe because he had become very fond of his niece. And, you know, this would take her away from him. And things are going to get a little gross um, here. Ooh, a little Woody Allen on here. Oh, oh yeah. Oh, little creepy. So zesty and zesty. Yeah. Um, Yeah, he writes a letter to Maria proclaiming his love for Virginia and convinces them to come to Richmond to live with him. And they do. In 1835, (laughs) Poe married his 13-year-old cousin, Virginia Clem. Woof! So while we might imagine that this was, like, not uncommon, it was still frowned on, you know. Um, Yeah. But it happened. You know, it's just kind of like something that we just have to... We have to accept, you know, about yeah, Poe and about, about the kind of time period. So they lied about her age, saying that she was 21 to validate the license. Um, and, you know, that's another kind of sign that it was that's frowned a upon. Damn, big if fucking he, indicator right there. If he was in yep. any kind of elevated form, like actor, director, or writer nowadays, there's, he is, his career would have been over a long time ago from oh, just this. Yeah. For sure. Yeah, I mean, and but from all counts, uh, it was said that he was a loving husband and that they were a pretty happy couple. Yeah. But by the end of the year, Poe had become an editor as well as a contributor and critic. But he was ultimately discharged from SLM for drinking, as the story goes. Mm-hmm. Poe says it was because of personal reasons that he left, but we do know that Poe had a habit of falling in and out of spouts of drinking. You know, he could go very long periods without touching a drop, but when he started, he often went like full hog. Yeah, and, and he didn't just, need like, fucking. And he didn't need much either. He was like a, a really a lightweight. Like he'd just get <laughs> get smashed yeah. really I didn't know you, easily. I, I thought yeah. you guys were talking about me for a second. I was kidding. <laughs> 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 so he got white girl drunk, huh? Oh, yeah. Oh, oh yeah. yeah. He would. Yeah. <laughs> so. Uh, by the age of 28, he had built a reputation for himself, and he moved to New York to try his luck there again. But right when he got there, a major financial recession hits, like the the, the night of that he gets there. Ah, oh, man. Um, so, yeah, so Poe moved back to Philadelphia in 1838. He's moving all over the fucking New England, man. Yeah, dude, that's like a, that's a thing we see, man. He, he just bounces around everywhere, you know, it's like yeah. wherever he can get work. 
you know, or yeah. wherever he just kind of try his luck um, different places. And, you know, he'll go back and forth like Richmond and Boston and, yeah, you know, Boston, yeah. Boston. So during this time, Poe published his first and his only complete novel, The Narrative of Arthur Gordon Pyme of Nantucket. <clears throat> dot, 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 dot. <laughs> <laughs> there was a man from Nantucket. It was him and his bucket. <laughs> so, uh, you know, this had mixed reviews. And Poe also published uh, Tales of the Grotesque Arabesque? and Arabesque. Ooh. I hope that's how you say it. I think. Um, Arabesque, which is a uh, collection of short stories. It also had mixed reviews, but it contained one of his most famous stories, uh, The Fall of the House of Usher. Yeah. I fucking love that. Yeah. I love how Fall of the House such of Usher. Dude, such a good one. Is that the one where the, the, the sister is like forever haunting the house and she's just in there and she's died already and she kind of comes back to life? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Yeah, it's partly, go- it's partly a ghost story. You know, it's about like the the last almost like the last member of the house of usher and you know it the house is literally right. falling apart throughout the story until it's yeah. like basically becomes rubble um yeah really really cool it story. reminded me of the really feel i know it's not the same thing so but great expectations they're always like in the same world for me for some reason i don't know yeah i mean that's that's uh with that old house and and the crazy lady yeah yeah yeah, yeah. Sim- I mean, I guess it was a similar time period too. Yeah, right? I was gonna. I was. I was curious who was first, but Dickens. Dickens. So in 1840, <laughs> Poe became assistant editor at Burton's Gentleman's Magazine. Ooh. There, he published more critical reviews, which added to his national reputation as a harsh but thorough literary critic. So Poe left in June of 1840 and got a job at Graham's Magazine, and he, you know, he would often work at like different magazines at once you know and sometimes he would be like the only worker you know what i mean like they'd have like a boss but he'd be like editing you know wow. like just like basically doing everything um he was like you know, mm-hmm. yeah dude it was crazy yeah well it sucks i mean i feel like even nowadays if you volunteer to do too many things that you're almost taken advantage of in some ways, like I'm sure that was the yeah. same thing. Like he'll do anything for money, kind of thing. Well, Poe, his big dream was having his own journal or magazine. That you know, like cool. he wanted his own literary journal. So I think it. I think doing all that was kind of his way of like maybe trying mm-hmm. to you know take it over at some point. You know, or maybe or, learn the ropes know. too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like really, um, yeah, cutting his teeth. Yeah. By 1841, he was an editor at Graham's and continued to publish his critical reviews. But more importantly, at Graham's, he published The Murders in the Rue Morgue. And this is widely recognized as the very first modern detective story. And the main character is influenced, like, I mean, like Sherlock Holmes. Um, I totally have heard of this one. That's crazy. Yeah. Yeah. Inspector Clouseau. Like, it was just like, yeah, all these, basically like these detectives that we all kind of know like the incredibly yeah. smart and intuitive detectives mm-hmm. um it comes from poe that's awesome yeah i, I yeah it's just, i know i read that one a long time ago but i shit i must have been like 10 years old i'm gonna have to read it again yeah me too yeah me too i, I haven't read it in a while did you yeah. guys hear that fact about the word morgue what it translates into like the french word Mm-mm. it means to look and what it was is like if there were bodies that were um unidentified or not uh you know, uh, claimed they would put your dead body up in a window 
or in this kind of parlor place and you'd come and look and recognize the bodies and that's what the word morgue comes from oh it's Isn't like a fucked up red light district <laughs> yes so crazy and then also like there you guys gotta watch that show midnight gospel because the last episode they talk a lot about the history of funeral homes and embalming and that's another thing too is like all this stuff wasn't all that necessary, but it's just the way they did things, you know? Yeah. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I think I've watched every episode um, except the last one, so oh I'll have, have to catch up on that. So yeah, I, I heard it was intense. I yeah, it's it. a crazy show. It's, it's good. I like it's it. It's my favorite. Uh, yeah. <laughs> so Poe had joined literary circles, and there he met Reverend Rufus Griswold. Uh, he was a reviewer and anthologist. So Griswold traded positive reviews for money quite often, and this went against everything Poe believed in. But Poe wanted to publish some of his poems in the anthology of American poets that Griswold was compiling. So Griswold said he would put a few of Poe's poems, goddammit, <laughs> he would put a few of Poe's poems in this book if Poe reviewed it. Uh, real quick, real quick, I'm just thinking about them walking past each other in the hall, and he's just like, whore! And he's just Griswold's excuse me? Oh, nothing. Pardon me. Oh, sorry. Got a cough here. Could have been the wind. You know, Poe agrees. Griswold only publishes three of Poe's poems, and, like, all the other poets had, like, a bunch, and he only did three of Poe's. But Poe kept his word and reviewed it somewhat harshly. And this, of course, pisses off Griswold because he's thought, like, Man, I thought we had a fucking deal here. And Poe's just like, I don't play mm-hmm. that, man. I'm gonna, you know, like, mm-hmm. I'm straight up. I'll tell you what's, yeah. you know, <laughs> yeah, because he, he wrote, about he me, wrote yeah. what, yeah, because he wrote what was good about the poem about the book, but then he just slammed it and slammed Griswold pretty bad. <laughs> and you know, from then on, they were basically enemies after that. Yeah. So Poe was writing and working a lot uh, during this time, but he wasn't really making much money. Um, there were no copyright laws at the time, so people could just print his books and stories, like or anybody's, and mm. you know you wouldn't receive any compensation. And he would rally against this for years, you know, like trying to make copyright law. Yeah. So during this time, this is kind of when he begins crafting his public persona in hopes that he could get money from lectures and readings and just sort of being an eccentric personality, you know. And yeah. that's where we kind of start getting the very like melancholic, dark Poe that we that we all know. Brooding. Yeah, brooding. In 1842, while playing piano and singing, Virginia began coughing up some blood. And this, of course, is the first sign of tuberculosis. Damn it. So sad. So in 1844, Poe moved his family to New York to take up a post at the New York Evening Mirror. And here in 1845, he published The Raven. And it was in the January 29th issue of the New York Evening Mirror. And this poem launches his fame. You know, he's the talk of the country. He's invited into literary circles, fancy dinner parties. He's asked to give readings. Everybody's always like, you know, do the raven. <laughs> yeah, um, just, just, all right, fine. Just one more. Just one more. <laughs> Play free raven. Um, <laughs> anyway, this one's called the raven. <laughs> yeah. So um, he, but he was said to be an excellent narrator. Like he had a I'm very, sure. like, yeah, he, he, he was said to be fantastic. Yeah. Um, you know, very very dramatic and stuff like that, yeah. you know. Oh yeah. <laughs> but but you know, all this did very little to line his pockets, you know, like in man, we'll just see him in and out of debt and like always having financial hardships like basically his whole Ugh. life. So sad. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. 
So Poe also began being a real shitbag around this time. Um, he started a, a friendship with a young female poet named Jane Austen. Oh, I was going to say Jane. Not the Jane, Jane Austen. Austen. Yeah. No. no, I can't remember her middle <laughs> name now. Um, and this is basically like while Virginia's dying at home. Everyone knew, and it was quite the scandal at the time because Austin was also married. Mm-hmm. So it was it was pretty scandalous, you know. Yeah. But Poe's fame did garner him some backing to buy his own journal, which was his dream. So he bought the Broadway Journal in 1846. But Poe fucks up again by picking a fight with a well-beloved poet named Longfellow. Mm-hmm. Some feel that Poe was jealous of Longfellow's success as, you know, Longfellow was making money. He was a professor at Harvard. He had adoring fans. You know, he was this pinnacle of, of poets in, in America. And this is where we need to talk a little bit about slavery. So Poe was a Southern boy. You know, we, we have to remember that. And he would have grew up around the slave trade. Like he would have seen it, you know, slaves being sold in the streets. And, you know, like that just would have been a part of his life. He never really, like, spoke about it one way or another, but this becomes one of the reasons that he attacks Longfellow, because Longfellow was an abolitionist, and he often wrote anti-slavery poetry, and he also injected other political subjects into his work. Poe was a snobby purist, you know, whatever that really means, and thought politics had no place in poetry. So he slammed Longfellow in a review, which pissed off a really like a great number of people who saw Longfellow as this great American poet. Yeah, he was. Yeah, he was. Um, Yeah, which he was. So in 1846, you know, all these shenanigans kind of catch up with him because of his scandalous relationship with uh, the married Austin and his attack on Longfellow. uh, He loses the traction momentum from his fame with a raven. Um, kind of as he should. I mean, those things are all just like, dude. Ugh. Yeah, he really just kind of shoots himself in the foot. That's yeah, this is yeah. what the he... fuck you doing, buddy? I've had. Yeah. So, I've, it just reminds me of so many people that are in like kind of like the musician subculture or whatever, or like you know, a writer or an artist, and then like they kind of come out with talking about something like you know that that is racist or sexist, oh. and then it's just like oh. You were a douchebag the whole time. Mm-hmm. I don't know. So it's like it's like that joke, like more like Morrissey. You know, it's just like, dude, just sing. Just shut, shut your, <laughs> shut your fucking mouth. Yes, <laughs> shut the fuck up, Morrissey. Yeah, damn. Oh, I hate yeah. Morrissey. <laughs> so um, what was it? What was it like? He wouldn't let if you were la- wearing a leather product or leather. He wouldn't let you into shows at some point, like you wearing a leather jacket or something. Be- I heard that bouncer, shit. I was like, no bouncer at his own way. show. Jesus. I know, and the bouncer's probably like, she's like, just, I'm sorry, I have to kick you yeah. out. You know, like, sorry, dude. Yeah. yeah, I mean, Poe made almost nothing from the Raven, and then he had to shut down his magazine due to financial reasons. Um, so, you know, and as I said, Poe had been and would constantly be in and out of debt for the most of his life. So, yeah, mm-hmm. he kind of lost his dream of having a magazine. Uh, just for probably being like, just like this all like drunk. Being like, what the fuck you say? I'll tell you, tell you what's up. Long phone, more like long. Yeah, you like that. I'm the raven. I hate you, that fellow. Fuck you. Uh, so in late 1846. This is farts on him. <laughs> this is farts on him. Uh, so we're, in late 1846. 
<laughs> Here's a Christmas present. <laughs> <laughs> so <laughs> this is a this is a fart heavy episode. I mean, which episode isn't? Should That's true, add yeah. that word into our podcast. <laughs> oh. Toots and toots. <laughs> All right. Under the fart podcast. Under the fart chilling. <laughs> All right. <laughs> Wait, the pendulum just keeps farting every time it goes by. <laughs> and it's like getting wetter <laughs> every time it starts to <laughs> Okay, okay, okay. <laughs> All right, sorry. I'm crying. All right. uh, we'll get through okay, this. Okay, okay. Okay. <laughs> So, so in late 1846, Poe moved his wife and aunt to a cottage in Fordham. I think that's how you say that. Uh, it was it's a, in the Bronx in New York. Um, he had hoped that this would not only remedy his broken spirit, but also help his ailing young wife. But she only got worse and worse as the year went on, and Poe drank more as a result of his growing despair. Uh, oh, I just like envisioned, because this is the wife that he was cheating on, right? Yeah, that's, yeah. A, mm-hmm. that's a, his child bride. She like... I, I just mm-hmm. saw, like, a close-up of him, like, going to hold her hand, and he's just, like, she's just, like, slaps it away. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, oh, yeah, I mean, dear. Virginia had basically been invalid for five years, and, you know, her condition had just continued to de- deteriorate from the tuberculosis. And then, uh, finally, on January 30th, 1847, uh, Virginia finally succumbed to her illness and died at the cottage. Aww. Shortly um, after his birthday. That's sad. <laughs> Oh yeah! <laughs> On my birthday, he's oh. like happy birthday to me. Glug 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 glug. One for me, one for you, and drops it all over his face. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Sorry, so, Virginia. Um, yeah, right. Yeah, she's she's lovely. Um, yeah. So, <laughs> Poe was Poe was obviously distraught, and but. You know, he began looking to remarry, like, very quickly, most likely for financial reasons. Um, yeah. I don't think it was really a love thing. It was just a, like, I'm broke. <laughs> I need money. So in the same year, um, 1847, he published his work Eureka, which is a really interesting work for him. It's a, it's a compilation of his theories on the universe, nature, and a variety of other subjects. And it's actually, like, considered... Like, he has these early ideas of, like, string theory and, like, theory of relativity and things like that. Like, like these things that would kind of become those. Um, so it's a really interesting work, and oh. it really kind of just shows oh, wow. his, like, his intellect, you know, as, yeah. as not only a not only a, a author or writer, but, a, you know, just as a thinker, you know, and, and sort of this cultivator of, of, like, ideas and subjects. That's interesting. I didn't but, know that. Yeah, yeah, it's, I haven't read it yet, um, but I'll have to, yeah, I'll have to look into it. It's yeah. just supposed to be, like, very, very interesting work, uh, piece of work from him. Yeah. Um, but Poe was still desperate for a wife, and he courted poet Sarah Helen Whitman in 1848. Uh, Whitman, however, called off the marriage. Um, there's speculation as to why she called it off. Some say it was because of Poe's drinking, and some say it was intentional intervention from Whitman's mother, who strongly opposed the marriage and Poe. Mm-hmm. Poe attempts to kill himself in a half-hearted suicide attempt. Um, I think it was they said like he took like two ounces of oh, laudanum yeah. or something like that. 
Yeah, but uh, a friend comes to his rescue and kind of nurtures him back to health, and you know, and then things start to take a turn. Uh, they start to look up for him after this. You know, he finds a backer to start a magazine, and his fame kind of just seems to reignite again after he starts touring and lecturing once more. So, like, he begins to get that momentum again, and um, yeah, just kind of like like his fame with the Raven just is still still there with the people. Yeah, they just it's still yeah. regarded as a great, um, a really popular piece. Yeah. So, you know, he returns to Richmond, um, kind of a celebrity, and his foster si- sister welcomes him with open arms. So he kind of like, kind of gets back in with the Allen family a little bit, but, you know, it's, it's his foster sister. So, you know, John's dead and, you know, so it's all good, I guess. Um, in early 1849, he convinces his childhood sweetheart, who is now a widow, um, Elmira Royster, uh, to marry him after a short courtship. So they set the marriage for when Poe is to return from a trip to Philadelphia for an editing job, then to New York to get Miss Clem to bring her back to Richmond. Poe had told his new fiancé that he wasn't quite feeling well and he did have a bit of a fever, uh, but he left for Baltimore in September of 1849 despite this. No one heard from Poe for five days. He was found in a gutter, wearing ragged clothes that were so unlike what he would normally have worn uh, that it was commented upon, you know, it was, it was just like too small. They were ragged, yeah. you know, cause he dressed very nice. Um, he was delirious and extremely ill and he was taken to Washington college hospital on October 3rd. He did regain consciousness the next morning, but he kept swimming in and out of delirium for the next few days. Um, the Poe museum gives this account of his final day. For no reason, he started calling loudly for Reynolds on the fourth night. In the early morning hours of October 7th, Poe calmly breathed a simple prayer, Lord, please help my soul, and died. No autopsy was performed, and he was buried unceremoniously in an unmarked grave on a, in a Presbyterian church on Aww. October 10th of 1849. Poe was 40 years old. Aww. Yeah. Yep. Sucks. So... It's kind of one of the great mysteries. We, yeah. we will never know exactly how Poe came to this condition or what actually caused his death. Um, one prevailing theory is that Poe was caught between mm-hmm. some political factions in the city. So they kind of think that they may have like fed him alcohol and, you know, these political thugs fed him alcohol. Then they brought him to these different precincts to act as a repeat voter. You know, and he Yeah, there's a for word it. for that, isn't there? Yeah. Yeah, I can't I can't remember. Um but he Totally. They, yeah. So then then they think he was beaten, robbed and abandoned. Yeah, um, totally. I I've heard that theory the most mm-hmm. in the last 5 years that they're like that's probably yeah. what happened to him. Yeah. Um you know, and some believe that he just drank himself into that condition yeah. and died, you know. It's possible. So, but what yeah, whatever the truth um might be, his death will always remain a mystery. And there's Quite a list of theories over the years, you know, mm-hmm. um, beating, epilepsy, um, heart disease, toxic disorder, hypoglycemia, di- you know, um, diabetes, you know, obviously from alcohol, murder, rabies, carbon monoxide. Rabies. I mean, Ooh, yeah, rabies there's... made the list. Oh, very nice. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like, uh, shouldn't be playing with those I mean, coo- raccoons ba- in the park, man. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> they were yeah, his I mean, friends. Like, um, Not in Boston. Yeah, they're, they're my drinking buddies. Um, yeah, I mean, like, theories came out, I mean, like, right after his death, and I think, like, um, you know, up until the 90s, you know, probably probably even a new book about trying to figure out his uh, death, you know. Mm -hmm. So, on October 9th, 1849, 
Griswold wrote an obituary for Poe, which reads as such. Edgar Allan Poe is dead. He died in Baltimore the day before yesterday. This announcement will startle many, but few will be grieved by it. The poet was well known personally or by reputation in all the country. He had readers in England and in several of the states of continental Europe, but he had few or no friends. And the regrets for his death will be suggested principally by the consideration that in him, literary art lost one of its most brilliant but erratic stars. Dang, dude, that's fucking, that is so passive aggressive. Yeah. And just outwardly aggressive too, like. Yeah, and, and Griswold would kind of continue, you know, and it's weird because he has this both, like, slanderous yet, like, reverent descriptions of Yeah, totally. you know what I mean? Like, weird. I mean, yeah, and maybe um, he partly knew that, you know, he couldn't be totally slanderous and, like, yeah. that would have been, like, frowned upon by any, like, you know, he, yeah. no matter who had passed away. I, I, I well, I always think Griswold had some respect for Poe, and, and Poe maybe for him too, because uh, Poe ha- did ask Griswold to be his literary executor um, should something happen to him, which meant like Griswold was the one who could distribute his work, you know, and compile like anthology, you know, like what so. It just fuck? it was it's weird. Yeah, you wouldn't think so, but I think there, I don't know. There might have been some sort of respect between the two, you know. Yeah, there has to be more um, to the story. Yeah, that, yeah, but it, it, I couldn't find anything. I, and, yeah, uh, yeah, you know, I mean, Marie, we may not Maria, even know. M- Maria, yeah, Maria Clem, um, you know, wrote, because uh, she she was the one who, like, after his death, like, got all his, you know, um, inherited all his, his, you know, whatever he had, his works and things. Yeah. And she signed it over to uh, Griswold as kind of like, you know. Um, you can take pe- like, care you, of it better you with it. it you, know, yeah. you, you, you know what to do. You know, yeah, 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 you know what to do with mm-hmm. this, and I don't, yeah. you know, kind of thing. So, in an 1856 book, uh, The Works of the Late Edgar Allan Poe, uh, which Griswold had um, compiled, uh, he wrote this in a memoir. And this is, this is a, really illustrates, like, that reverent yet slanderous description that he gives. Yeah. Okay. <clears throat> so, <laughs> passion in him comprehended many of the worst emotions which militate against human happiness. You could not contradict him, but you raised quick collar, or which is anger. You could not speak of wealth, but his cheek paled with gnawing envy. The astonishing natural advantages of this poor boy, his beauty, his readiness, the daring spirit that breathed around him like a fiery atmosphere, had raised his constitutional self-confidence into an arrogance that turned his very claims of admiration into prejudices against him. Irascible, envious, Bad enough, but not for the worst. But not the worst, for these salient angles were all varnished over with a cold, repellent cynicism. His passions vented themselves into sneers. There seemed to him no moral susceptibility, and what was more remarkable in a proud nature, little or nothing of the true paint of honor. He had, to a morbid excess, that desire to rise, which is vulgarly called ambition, but no wish for the esteem or the love of his species. Only the hard wish to succeed, not shine, not serve, succeed, that he might have the right to despise a world which galled his self-conceit. Jesus. Wow. Fucking weird. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so. I Yeah, I don't even know how to feel about that. Yeah, it's like kind of very contradictory, you know, like, well, yeah. I don't know if contradictory is the right word, but, you know, it's just like, yeah, he'll be like praise him one second and then it'll just be like he is like the lowliest human you know, it's like grumpy old men, you know, like <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> just leaving dead fish in his car 
at every turn. <laughs> oh, man. You know, while this profile might not be entirely untrue, uh, you know, we obviously can't ignore the glaring bias that Griswold had for Poe. Um, and we also can't ignore the image that Poe manufactured himself, you know, as a man apart, a man who illustrated and captured the darker side of humanity and society, uh, you know, a tortured romantic who was on the same plane as Lord Byron, which was actually his childhood hero, painted himself as a man who was deemed unlovable, destined to be destitute and demonized at the whim of a cruel world, and he was also a man who could find beauty and joy within his own insular world. And it seems fitting that Poe can seem like two different people at any given time, as doubling is often a theme in his stories. But I think one poem of his that might capture a true version of him was written when he was about 20. And this is just a portion. So this is uh, Alone. See if I don't fuck this up. From childhood's hour, I have not been as others were. I have not seen as others saw. I could not bring my passions from a common spring. From the same source, I have not taken my sorrow. I could not awaken my heart to joy at the same tone. And all I loved... I loved alone. Wow. <laughs> so that's, uh, that's amazing. I, I love that alone. Oh, poem. man. That's wonderful. Yeah. Yeah, there's more to it, but that the those first, um, those first few lines are, you know, I think very, uh, very indicative. And, you know, and a lot of people, like historians and stuff, will talk about how um, Poe interjects a lot of himself and his life into his stories. Um, yeah. You know, and obviously the, yeah, then they're I mean, embellished and things. Awful. Mm-hmm. Yeah, how could you heal from some of these things, you know? Yeah. yeah. And I'm sure he always did really feel alone. Yeah, and I, I think that's probably the most true thing that we can say about Poe is, like, I think he is, like, that line, like, I'm a I'm a part, you know, kind of thing. Like, I'm, yeah. Um, you know, yeah, I have not been as others were, I have not seen as others saw, and I think he always saw himself as a part mm-hmm. from society. Yeah. And, you know, that's I think that's probably the one thing that we can definitively say that we really know about Poe, you know, from his works. Yeah. yeah. Ah, it's a sad so. story. Yeah, it is, you know. It's a, yeah, kind of a, just kind of a sad, you know, life. But, you know, his legacy lives on and, you know, he'll mm-hmm. always be considered one of the great American, you know, poets and authors. Oh, yeah. Of, uh, and you absolutely. Know. Those listeners that haven't really read many of his stories, you know, there's some excellent ones out there. I mean, I've, I've recently listened to Vincent Price do um, the, the Pit and the Pendulum. And I was like in the middle oh, of it. Yeah. I was at oh, work yeah. and I was like, I need to have a fuck. I wish I could have a cigarette right now. This is intense. Like, Jesus Christ. With all the yeah. rats and stuff <laughs> like that. And the yeah, gnawing man. and then the oi and then the mess. And it's crazy. And the glory. Yeah. I, and I, I love like, I love Christopher Lee and, and Vincent Price doing his works because they just, man, I don't nail know, like it. something about their voices nail and it. stuff. They just, oh, yeah, they, they really kind of nail the atmosphere. Yeah. You know? And they, and they have a great sense of interpretation for it because man, when you try to read mm-hmm. this out loud, it is difficult just with Very all the tough. punctuation yep. and the, and the antiquated language and the phrasing and like the flowery words it's just yeah and and trying to get the rhythm right you know that alone poem you know it's it's the way it's the way it's written Mm -hmm. um you know it's it's weird you read it uh, like differently than it's sort sort of seems written i guess right definitely if you if you read to the end of the line it wouldn't make sense 
you have to continue exactly yeah wrap I, I recommend for anybody yeah. as an introduction if you've only heard the raven i would do ten t- telltale heart that one is so exciting i, I can listen to that one endlessly. that one's so good and that's and that story so interesting, you know. And one thing about Poe, which he was so great about, because he wrote um, like about creative writing, and he had rules for writing short stories. And one of his big rules was if the first lines don't catch your attention, it's basically shit. Oh, cool! And so you know, it's like the, it's the like first lines I, of, like, of Telltale like Heart, something like that. Yeah, it's like you call me yeah. mad, you know, and, and yeah. it's just like this, like very, you know, like. That oh, one just, man. like, yeah, bitch slaps it's, it's you, like, like it captures the... yeah, yeah, it's, like, this manic, manic, like, trying to explain and Very rationalize manic, what yeah. I did. And, like, I'm not mad. You'll call me mad. And it just really, you know, it just really draws you in. And he does that a lot, you know, like, either through imagery or through, like, the characters. You know, it's just, like, he was yeah. he was truly a master There's of the short There's so story many form. excellent recordings yeah. of that, too. Like, even on Relic Radio, Heather, I ran into one just the mm-hmm. other day that was awesome. Yeah. I do love their adaptations. And uh, my recommendation, which is one that I don't hear about as much, but I absolutely love it, is such a brutal story. Uh, The Facts in the Case of M. Valdemar. Oh, Um, Oh, I don't know if I've read that one. It's awesome. So this guy is dying in bed, and then a hypnotist suspends him in in a hypnotized state at the moment of his death. (laughs) And he stays that way for a long Holy time. Holy shit, that's fascinating. And yeah, I, I don't want to tell you what the end is because that it is brutal. Yeah, dude. we should post that on our Facebook wow. for everybody. Metal. That sounds amazing. Yeah, that's, yeah. That's very, um, very Lovecraftian. You know it what is. I mean? Yeah. yeah, yeah. It's very mystical. Yeah, very kind of like pre. Yeah, Lovecraft. That's man. I'll have to read I that. also that's, that's I want to mention too all yeah. of the um, musical adaptations of some of his works. Like there have been really beautiful songs for like Annabelle and stuff like that. I'd love to. Oh, yeah. I'd love to post that because that's just that's such a that's almost like the Highwayman in in a way. It's just like that kind of beauty that's yeah. in it, like visually. Yeah, that's really really pretty. Yeah, um, yeah. If you find a if you find it, post it on the yeah, on the Facebook or you know one mm-hmm. of the socials. Yeah. Well, and speaking of socials, um, you can find us on Facebook at Under the Pendulum Podcast, Instagram at Under Pendulum Pod, uh, is, or Under Pendulum Podcast, <laughs> Twitter at Pendulum underscore Pod, um, and you can find all our episodes on Spotify, SoundCloud, iTunes, Podbean. Google Podcasts, or anywhere you listen to your pods. That's awesome. Yeah, and thank you for, for making it to 10 with us. That's, that's really yeah, awesome. Yeah, thank you, guys. Yeah. And uh, I'm Heather again, and you can find me on Facebook at Heather Thomas, Instagram at h.n.thomas, on Twitter at Heather W. Thomas. And also I wanted to mention that I have a new narration this week oh, on yeah. Tales to Terrify. Uh, Steve Tose's Stripsdivisa. It's really yeah. cool story. Yeah. Okay. So, I really enjoyed it. Yeah, yeah. I have that. I have that. Yeah, yeah I'll to listen, listen to, to it while I'm making um, stuff tomorrow <laughs> at work. <laughs> um, you can find me on Instagram and Facebook uh, just by searching for Christopher Weber. And there we go. And easy peasy. You can find me. Um, you can find me in outer space. No, you can find me on Instagram at Frothy Stardog and uh, Facebook for Kate Weber. But other than that, um, that's 
Or you can give me a call. You know, you can talk. We can have some coffee. You know, whatever you need. Well, thank you for listening, everybody. Um, and we will be back with another episode. And um, also, we did put out a bonus episode. Um, Heather narrated one of Poe's um, short stories. So I would definitely ask you guys to look at that because it was fantastic. Thank you. Oh, my goodness. One of my favorite ones, too. Yay. Yeah, me too. <laughs> Great. Well, thank you for listening, and we will see you next time. Y'all be good now. Goodbye. Don't take any wood nickels. Y'all come back Thank now. You. Yeah. Bye. <laughs>